Welcome to the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, flow, freedom, agorism, anarchy, and more. Our mission is to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. I'm your host, Mike the Polymath Whistler, coming from the Easy Peasy Shop in Indianapolis, Indiana, the crossroads of America. Thanks for joining. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode 43 of the Easy Peasy Podcast. You know, we have Luke Austin Doherty and his girlfriend Brittany in the studio again on this one. And it was a really, really good conversation. The, un- the unfortunate part was... We had some technical difficulties and we lost at least 30, 40 minutes of, of our chat. The batteries in my recording device decided to kick the bucket and I didn't notice for quite some time, but you know, it's, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened because what we're left with is, is still pretty damn good and what we're talking about on this on this episode really boils down to you know what what divides people not the specific issues per se but sort of why are we divided and how can we how can we try to bridge the divide because you know most of the time we have common ground but it seems like in the world we're living in now a lot of people um, have drawn a line in the sand one way or the other and it really is, um, it's concerning, you know? And I, I border on getting a little bit too personal, you might say, on this episode. I have to be careful what I say, but in a nutshell, I am addressing the fact that The issue of vaccine status is becoming a major problem in my family, personally. 
I assume that that might be the case for a lot of people. And seeing as we're heading towards the holiday season, I'm sure I'm not the only one wondering just just what to do. Because frankly, I I am the only unvaccinated person in my family. So if that's a problem, it's 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 hard for me to do something about it aside from perhaps extracting myself from the situation, which I'd prefer not to do. But this, this, this issue of division, you know, in the past we might have bickered and, you know, debated somewhat playfully about politics, especially at the holidays, you know, you get get together with family and it's funny how that that always seems to come up but this year I just don't know if that that's even gonna fly you know and I don't know if I even want to put myself in the position because I don't want to feel cornered or ganged up on right So we discussed this division, this, the fact that this issue of the vaccine seems to be sort of a, a deal breaker for some people and what we can possibly perhaps do about it. We, we get into some interesting topics about, you know, what, what Luke calls the, the inherent sort of subconscious desire for the eternal parent and for a a moral framework. And, you know, I do apologize where this, this technological failing was certainly on me. I should have put fresh batteries in the recorder because, you know, Luke shared a lot of insight that didn't get captured and it gives me comfort to know that he will be on the show again but I'm doing my best to sort of fill in the gaps for you and you know I'm going to I'm going to read a poem at the end that we we read together but but didn't capture um about the the role of the father. But I'm going to save that for the end. And, you know, I think what I'll do right now, before I hit play on the conversation, is read to you something I wrote last night while I was sitting at a bar. Give me just a moment. Tonight, I stopped into a joint I had never been to before, despite having he- having heard good things. 
It was unseasonably warm for mid-November, and the place was on my way from the clients to mine, so I stopped. It was right on the water, and the sun was setting over the reservoir early, thanks to daylight savings. I cozied up to the outdoor bar, not knowing how many more chances I would get this year. I ordered my customary Miller Lite and immediately struck up a conversation with the old biker three stools down. That must be your bike. Yep. Hell of a night to ride. Wish I was on mine. Why ain't you? Well, I just finished work and you can't haul brush with a motorcycle. Well, not much at least. I'm Moses. I'm Mike. You know, Moses, we've met before. I'm sure of it. You don't meet many Moseses. After debating the issue for a minute or two, we established where we had met at another bar downtown. We had talked motorcycles. We carried on, my stomach rumbling as I scanned the menu absent-mindedly, distracted by the good conversation and engaging company. You decide what you want, or is Moses bending your ear too much? Scotty the bartender asks familiar with Moses as a regular. Ha, I'm not sure yet, but I'm thinking seafood. Oysters are good. Catfish is good. I think I'll have both. Mike, you like good tequila? Asks Moses. Does the Pope shit in the woods? How about good sipping tequila? He asks. If you're buying, absolutely. Scotty poured the tequila into our glasses and we cheersed. Good to meet you. Once more. Likewise, if you shoot that, what, you'll kick my ass? Nah, but I won't buy you another. We sipped our tequila, Patron, Extra, and Yeho. Aged three years in oak barrels, exceedingly smooth, exchanging stories and jokes. Halfway through the tequila and a quarter of a quarter way through the Miller Lite, the oysters came out. I inhaled them with my co custom cocktail sauce mix to add a little spice. They slid down my gullet with little resistance, each one more satisfying than, than the last. Then the catfish fillets, Cajun style, blackened. Moses let me eat in peace. I finished the last bites of catfish and drank the beer along the way, saving the tequila for last. Scotty brings me the bill, and I pass him the business debit card. Every meal is a business meal when you're self-employed. Scotty brings the receipt back with the tip line empty, waiting to be filled out. Subtotal, 5560. Quick math, 5.5 times 2 equals 11. Tip, $11. Total, 6660. Holy Moses. Promise I didn't mean to do that. Is this bad luck? Showing him the receipt. Better change it quick, remarks Moses in earnest. Agreed. Guess Scott's getting an extra buck. Sixty-seven, sixty it is. I scribble through my initial writing and illustrate my new intent. I put the pen down and finish my beer, leaving only the tequila. Moses, it's been a pleasure. Likewise. Till next time, most definitely.
wrote that after sort of being inspired by one of Luke's poems, one that he will read on this podcast towards the end called Low Shelf Angels. You know, it's another poem that's more story than, than, you know, anything else. It's sort of one of these long form, you know, I, I hesitate to say epic poems, but somewhere just below epic. (laughs) And so I wrote that last night because I was feeling connection and it felt like a very human moment. And at no point did anybody talk politics. You know, the local news was on in front of us and we remarked on the happenings of Indianapolis, but I just sort of got the sense that, you know, everybody there was just at peace in the moment with the folks around them, you know, as strangers. And I find it so ironic that we can be so comfortable with strangers during times like these and so uncomfortable with those who we love the most. And I think we need to address that. So I think with that, I will let this conversation roll. Here's Luke and Brittany. All right. Welcome back, Luke, Austin, Doherty, and Brittany. Back in the easy peasy shop once more. Uh, Hello, Michael. I'm glad you made it. I am. I am. You know, I've been wanting to get you back on the show for a while. Like I told you when Mm -hmm. you got here, it's like for some reason today just felt like the day. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for coming out. Yeah, it's kind of last minute, but oh, that's right. Yeah, it worked out well. <laughs> and we have time wise. Well, time is funny, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of like daylight savings day. Right? Yeah, is the day where we all get to remember how foolish and silly and non-existent the concept of time is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had a little bit of an issue where. You know, I thought you were going to be getting here an hour later than than you ended up doing. Yeah. So, hope you guys weren't waiting in the driveway too damn long. No, I was just here a couple minutes. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Well, yeah. So, what's new? Uh, you know, I, I actually hate that question, but if there's anything, <laughs> if there's anything uh, particularly new in your life, you know, go ahead and share it. I suppose. Um, well, so an interesting related tidbit this week that uh, relates to you. Uh huh. Um, because I always I like to be, if I can use the term somewhat loosely, uh, kind of a matchmaker for cool people. Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. And you may have, I don't know if you reached out to you or not, but one of my oldest buddies from high school, uh, his name's Tom, he and I hadn't caught up for probably, I'm guessing, I mean, other than just a little bit of Instagram bullshitting, you know what uh-huh, I mean? But uh-huh. an actual conversation for about a year and a half, maybe two years. Um. And I went out on a long, a long walk and then just talked to him on the phone for about an hour the other day. Well, anyway, we were talking about a lot of different topics, very philosophical type of gentleman, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, thinker style, and and also a good, good witty guy. But something came up and I mentioned you to him and his podcast, or I mean your podcast to him, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then looked you up and he followed you a few days ago. And, uh, but yeah, I'll... I'll uh, 
give you his stuff too. But he would be a really interesting guy to talk to. Now he's more in the uh, Cincinnati area, but you know it's not a long drive for him to come this way. Probably if, if we were catching up. Sure. But uh, you and he would have a really good conversation about all kinds of things, uh, sociological, governmental, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So. Well, glad to know you're spreading spreading mm-hmm. the podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping it'll be kind of a grassroots thing. You know, I haven't really done a lot mm-hmm. to get the word out necessarily, but uh, yeah, doing my part. Other yeah, than- you are probably more than damn near anybody. You know, it was cool having that conversation a while back with Roach. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, uh, doing it in the coffee shop. We just but, saw him yesterday. Did you? How's he doing? Doing well. Yeah. Good. Good. His bike's running. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. as long as it's still running, he was uh, riding it to work up until it started to get really cold in the, mm-hmm. or chilly in the mornings. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, he's got a, I'm thinking it's maybe like an 85 Vulcan 750 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Meat bike. And uh, yeah, he just parks it on the end of the sidewalk there at Waffle House. Well, it's a bummer uh, he couldn't make it to bike night because that was, yeah. you know, I will say that the second one uh, seemed like not quite the same energy as the mm-hmm. first, but I suppose, you know, that's just the way she goes. Things, uh, yeah. there's ebb and flow, but uh, mm-hmm. still a good time nonetheless, just a little bit more subdued. And the cops kind of shut her down, Yeah, which they've never done before as far mm-hmm. as I've heard. Yeah. So that was kind of lame. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, which, I mean, you've talked to some of those guys, it's been quite a batch of bullshit trying to get the proper permits and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, which is what I thought was so cool about that whole thing was they Mm -hmm. said like, fuck the permits. We're going to do it no matter what you say. Yeah. And, um, you know, it sounds like they've genuinely tried to go through Mm -hmm. the, through the channels, but it's just been, you know, nothing but dead ends. So I like that attitude. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, it took me longer than I care to admit, but I finally, you know, I read a handful of your poems from the book you gave me, uh, shortly after our first conversation, but I didn't get very deep. But today I sat down for probably an hour and a half, and and I got through a good chunk of the book. And um, I gotta say, I you know, I enjoyed it. Cool. <laughs> Low shelf angels, uh, you know. And is there anything else in the works? I guess. Yeah, actually, there's a a backed up pipeline at the moment. <laughs> mm. um, so last year. I had the, the you know next book, uh, mixed fruit jelly, uh, and razor blades, um, basically ready to publish mm-hmm. when my son passed away, and so I just wasn't, you know, in the the frame of mind that I wanted to have that put out, um, and you know just with everything going on in life, still haven't pulled the trigger on that yet, but. At the very latest, that's going to be early, early next year. Because mm. the next book that would have been this year is done except for the cover art. And the next poetry book after that, 100% of the poems already exist. And the next one after that is about half done. Yeah. So, so you're backed up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right um, on. Yeah, so. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, I hate to publish a book at the end of the year. I always hated releasing albums at the end of the year. You know, I just, it feels like you're at the end of the year's momentum instead of picking it up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the book that you have low shelf angels, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast, but that's, yeah, that's okay. Ago. There's new, um, new listeners, yeah. you know? So 
that and the following two, mixed fruit jelly and razor blades, and then the Zen of Chopped Onions is the next one. Those are functionally a trilogy that covers a decade of my life, roughly. Um, and they pick up steam as they go. So the book that you have has about six years. It covers about six years of my life, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next book, Mixed Fruit Jelly and Razor Blades, is about three years worth. And then The Zen of Chopped Onions is about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yours cut off about halfway through 2016-ish. I was trying to figure it out mm-hmm. <clears throat> because uh, there you make references to certain sort of topical things. And I honestly had a really hard time... Uh, Deciding if, if, yeah, if this book came out in the last year, year and a half, or mm. if it's been longer, um, but it's it seems to resonate with just the world we're living in today, yeah. um, very, very, mm. you know, powerfully. So um, I'm glad I'm finally getting into it. I probably have about I don't know a third of it left to to read, mm. but um, you know, I dog-eared a few pages. I, I I'm halfway hoping we can maybe get into a couple of the poems and yeah, sure. Um, get get some stories behind them or what have you uh um, yeah, yeah but you know i really don't have a whole lot of a plan for what i wanted to discuss today except that you know i think there's a lot on <clears throat> there's a lot on my mind these days i think a lot of people have a lot on their minds mm-hmm. um it's kind of an overwhelming time right now mm-hmm. um so i almost just thought it would be good you know i had a dear friend who's been listening to the show uh, kind of in reverse order, uh, got all the way back to our first episode when you guys were here in the shop last. And um, he said that he thought that episode was perfect, quote unquote. Which episode? Where we were sitting here. Oh, that first one? The first one, yeah. Um, and I thought that was a strong word, but his argument was just that like this is, and I think it was the whole um, theme of sort of why are people not connecting, uh, what's what's going on with people these days. You know, it's hard to summarize. That was a long conversation. But he yeah. was, he, he, um, I don't know, he basically tried to get across to me that he thought that of all of the episodes he had heard so far was maybe the most impactful, at least for him on a personal level. So, you know, it's like, I just figured it's damn overdue, you know, getting back together and, just, I guess, shooting the shit a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, seeing where the conversation goes. So I, I like <laughs> shooting the shit with you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> likewise, likewise. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I guess uh, just to finish the thought mm-hmm. on that, because mm-hmm. I lost it somewhere, as I oft want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one, Le Shuffle Angels, is mid... Because... When that was published, I think it was around August 2016. And I mean, there was shit that I had just written that ended up in that book, you know. Um, So then uh, the next uh, Mixed Fruit Jelly and Razor Blades, that goes uh, to like the beginning of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 2020-ish. It it basically cuts off right before all the COVID stuff took off. Sure, sure. Probably a good place to start a new chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And then... uh, the Zen of Chopped Onions takes off right when things got crazy in the mm-hmm. world and mm-hmm. things got crazy in my life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that one's just about a year. And then, um, and then there's one that the one that's basically finished now is called Scribblings from the Now and Here, 
that is kind of an oddball because that book is about 50-ish poems, maybe? I think it's longer. I think it's like 75. Okay. Hmm. Um, and that one is chronological from the first poem I ever wrote when I was a little kid. So each it just moves through chronologically, and then each poem has the year by it. Mm, mm. Um, and uh, so it covers from, you know, when I was five, maybe? Five or six, I think, was a, is the first poem that I have that I ever wrote. Um, there are a few poems that I wrote that I have when I was under 10. So those, those are all in there. Something weird's going on, isn't yeah. it? With the the audio on the right. Yeah, it sounds a little mono. I was wondering why that all of a sudden happened. Yeah, because I thought it might just be my headphones, but I saw Brittany kind of like WTF. Sure yeah, so I'm sure it's coming through for the listener too. Uh, yeah. Let's see if we can Actually, figure this out. Well, I'm hearing you on both sides. Yeah, but it's muffled on one side, isn't oh, okay. it? Yeah. It's muffled slightly. Yeah. There, uh, there we go. That's it. Hey, hey. Oh, oh there oh. it is again. Oh. <laughs> Technical demons, man. That's how every we, concert ever good? goes. Right? That that feels good right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't touch anything. Yeah. The wind the wind's blowing too hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Doc, don't even don't even come over here, bud. Yeah. Too many wires. Uh, but yeah, so that one, uh, you know, I think it'll be cool because I think the last one that's in that was just written like last spring, and mm. it's the title poem, the or scribblings from the noun here. Hmm. Um, so anyway, there's a lot on deck, so. Well, that's cool, man. That's cool. It's better than having like nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. Writer's block's never been a problem. That's good. That's good. Cause you know, I, I feel like my writing or my expressiveness, my creativity does ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say I've never had like total block, just sort of some days I'm into it. Some days I'm not, yeah. you know, but that's natural. Yeah. Normal. Uh, yeah, you know, I almost like makes me think of the moon cycle or whatever, but I, I feel like I have my own sort of rhythms and, and cycles mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, call it a man period every so often or whatever. Right. And, um, it's almost funny because like just a couple days ago, it seemed like I was hearing from more than a couple people in my immediate sort of circle who, um, you know, it just seemed like that day. And I don't know, I'm not, you know, going to presume to know anything about how your day was a couple of days ago, but it was like, just nothing was going the way you figured it would go. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, not for good or for bad necessarily, but like, I ended up bagging off work and ended up going out. A friend of mine, my mentor, um, had rented a cabin for the weekend and gave me an open invitation and mm -hmm. just because of a series of sort of unforeseen and problematic events uh i was just like you know what forget it need to go out and just have some some time in the woods with a dear friend and like reset a little bit and i was admiring the moon today or tonight here did you guys see it on your way in yeah and the sunset was badass when we left playing <sighs> it was gorgeous and uh tiny little sliver of a moon so i'm figuring it was the new moon either yesterday or the day before. And I don't know, you know, I'm not super into the astrology shit, but it just felt like there was this sort of shared, um, waywardness a couple days ago <laughs> for at least people in my life. So I, I take it for what it is, but yeah, you know, it was funny cause I was reading, um, the poem that the book is titled after, right? Low shelf angels. Mm -hmm. And it's a story. Um, you know, I like your, your, 
style of poetry because it's you do what you want when you want. Sometimes it's more story form mm-hmm. with quotes and dialogue, and but it's still sort of structured in a poetic way. Other times it's more traditional, you know, poems. You're very, very minimalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this story about you and your son helping out a drunk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a guy that's just stumbling down the sidewalk, not not able to keep his feet, and you guys kind of helped him along and got him to a safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me think because just yesterday I was watching this video. I was on a tour and this group that was on my tour, right? I'm, I'm a tour guide on Saturdays. Oh, cool. Um, I didn't know that. I never told you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just through the fall down at a Brown County distillery. Um, I'll avoid saying their name just because sure. you know, it's like, yeah. uh, I'm not going to shit where I eat, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. I take people out on an ATV tour through the woods and show them a good time, give them some drinks, tell them some jokes. And, you know, I had this younger group, and we were having a lot of fun. And, you know, at one point, we're just kind of hanging out, and somebody's like, oh, you got to see this hilarious video. You know, we were talking about the pickle peddler here in Indy, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, it might have been that or the handlebar. I can't remember which. I might have to bleep those names, frankly, because I I don't want to get anybody into trouble. But there was this video of this guy wiping out on a bird scooter in front of their establishment. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy's clearly wasted, wasted drunk. And nobody was there. Nobody helped him, at least. If anybody saw it happen, nobody helped the guy. And, you you know, we're watching it. And at first, it's kind of funny, right? Oh, like, it's the first 10 seconds where he wipes out. Mm -hmm. But then there's about six or eight minutes of him just struggling and like moaning in pain and like literally like babbling for his mother, mm-hmm. like no joke. And you know, it's like in a cynical way, it's kind of like easy to laugh at that situation and laugh at that person. But I couldn't help, but in the moment with these folks, like we're all laughing, having a good time, but I'm thinking to myself like, man, like I really feel bad for that dude. You know, that's a bad day. I had my motorcycle accident I told you about. Mm-hmm. And I, so I'm like relating to him about the just writhing on the ground in pain. Now, I wasn't wasted drunk. That's the only thing that makes the whole thing funny mm-hmm. is that he's wasted drunk. So it's easier for people to disassociate and not like have sympathy, right? So I thought that poem is just so funny to read that today after watching that video and having sort of a an ethical like gut reaction to like what I was seeing as being kind of like sad and like not, not worth laughing at really, or not appropriate to laugh at. And then I read this poem about how you and your brother or your, you and your son Mm -hmm. um, helped out this guy who was just stumbling down the sidewalk by himself, having a, you know, he had too much to drink and, and you decided instead of laughing, you know, maybe did, I'm curious, was your initial like response to chuckle a little bit when you saw this guy or no, no, yeah. no, not necessarily. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll laugh at things, you know, if I think they're funny or whatever, but sure. Sure. Um, but you know, if you've ever been like you're saying, relating to, you know, having a motorcycle crash, thankfully it was minor compared to what it could be. Right. But not nothing. Obviously. Not nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you're able to walk away from it. Uh, and you know, that allows you to kind of empathize with this other guy that crashed the bird, you know, mm-hmm. like when you've ever been substantially physically hurt, you know, uh, or in a situation like where you've been knocked out and you couldn't do anything about it, which I've been both, 
multiple times. Um, you know, you, you know, you realize this person's in a hard fucking situation. Like, I mean, that was a situation where he was extremely drunk, mm-hmm. extremely drunk. And, you know, in a situation like that, I, I, I think, I know that's one of the, maybe the longest poems in the book, so I don't remember exactly what's in it, but you know, a guy falling down, I mean, anybody, a person falling down from standing up and this dude was like fucking six, four. Mm-hmm. If you just went straight down and hit your head. Oh, that's a lot of momentum. You could yeah, do you serious, could be dead, you know? serious damage. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that was one of those where pretty much instantly trying to get like, this guy needs help, you know? And when he passed us and he was like, no, I'm okay. And then he went a little bit farther and then, you know, fucking fell down and toenailed himself up underneath the car and shit. I was like, all right, we got to go help this guy, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, which could be another good figure for the fact that some people say they don't need help, <laughs> but they do, mm-hmm. you know, he was, uh, as drunks tend to be very confident, mm-hmm. you know, uh, at first, you know, at first, I mean, not like a dickhead confident, you know, but he's like, no, I'm fine. You know, um, the funny thing is, so a funny thing about that, uh, I bumped into that guy Let me see. Probably if you split the difference between when it happened and now. So, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, two and a half years ago, something like that. I bumped into him in a bar, and he was fucking lit. Mm-hmm. And walking around just bullshitting and talking to people. And uh, he came up over to my table, and I was catching up with another buddy. And I can't remember exactly what he said. But uh, he wasn't as drunk that time. <laughs> Did he remember you? Nope, not at yeah, all. Yeah. And... Uh, and he was like, yeah, man, you know, get up and dance, you know. Uh, and all this, and he's like, how you doing? And what's your name, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, my name's Luke, but last time you saw me, you called me an angel. And that, did that jog his memory? No. Mm-hmm. He was blacked out, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was fucked up. Yeah. But that took nothing away from the value of it when it happened. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said in the poem, you're really showing an example for your son. Mm-hmm. Um and just doing your part, frankly, like it's the only right thing to do. Yeah. Just help the stumbling drunk. Um, yeah. Find, Which, a, find a bench to sit on at the very least. And mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe call him a cab or something. But you, you said the guy couldn't even remember his address. No, he so. was so fucked up he couldn't yeah. remember where he lived. But yeah. we, I won't give the whole story away in case anyone wants to buy the book. It'll be a good incentive mm-hmm. <laughs> to spend $15 on Amazon. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, so my son that was with me that night was Caleb, uh, and, uh, his, uh, so I had, my first kids were twins, it was Nathaniel and Caleb, and then I have two daughters, Lydia and Charity, uh, and Nathaniel passed away last year, hmm. but, uh, but yeah, Caleb and I, well, really all of the kids, um, where I, I used to live in Plainfield, uh, from that house to... Oasis Diner is like exactly a mile and had just hundreds and hundreds of walks with the kids, Hmm. all of the kids, some of the kids, you know, one of the, one of the kids, uh, you know, other people and all this kind of stuff, hundreds and hundreds of solo walks. Um, and just the revelations and situations that can happen in a mile, you know, I think that's its own, uh, revelation is, you know, so many, so many times in life, as people often do, we undervalue and undernotice the majesty of the place we are because it's common to us, you know? Um, 
and then we think like, oh man, St. Louis, St. Louis, the arch, you know, uh, or, you know, Chicago, you know, uh, you know, Chinatown or whatever, you know, we think about these other places. And then when we go to those other places, we treat them differently than we treat our own place because it's over there. We're over there now, you know? Um, but then there are people, if you think about just say Indianapolis, which if you live here is like, oh, it's Indianapolis. Cool. But it's where I live. It's nothing special to most people. But there are people that will circumnavigate the world to come to Indianapolis. And when they come here, they treat here like we treat there. Say for the 500. For the 500. Or, you know, whatever. Concerts, you know, Final Four, anything. Well, to me, it's very similar to... uh, So the only, like, if you want to call it hard form of poetry, and this relates, it might seem like I'm chasing a rabbit, because I am. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what we do. Yeah, but it's worth chasing. (laughs) Um, So... I do extraordinarily little rhyming poetry. Mm-hmm. Usually when I'm writing rhyming poetry, it's like an occasional kind of satirical poem, which I don't write many of. Um, but about the only form that I really lend to is haiku poems, like classic 575 so mm-hmm. haiku poems. Mm-hmm. But the hack for me that I really love about haikus is giving them a very kind of interesting title, which is a way of hacking, in my opinion, a haiku, because... I'm treating the, the the actual poem itself with respect to its you know uh, its origin as it were, but then the title is like you know no fucking rules you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the thing that I really enjoy about haiku poems are is and <laughs> just in case any uh, any English teachers are listening. Um, uh, is you can write about anything as long as you can write about it in this little tiny form, mm. you know, but anything can go in it. Mm. Um, and the thing that I love about that mile walk, which I've done, if I had to estimate over a thousand times, it's one mile, but I can think about anything in that. I can notice so much and so much has happened, so many interactions. And it's just like, uh, the, profound things that I've seen happen in that one mile, one fucking mile. And it's just any, it it could be any mile, Mm. you know, any mile could be your sacred mile, but that was mine for seven years when I lived at my previous residence. Um, and just all the things that happened. And that was one, you know, well, I know you're talking about, about the ritual hike, so to speak Mm -hmm. on a a near daily basis. Cause Mm -hmm. that was my setup in college. Um, it's funny because all my roommates either drove to class or took the bus because every place I seemed to live in college, I would be roughly a mile and a half or two miles from campus, mm-hmm. like a little bit further than most people would be willing to walk. And um, and I always had a bus stop within about half a mile. Mm-hmm. But I always figured if I'm walking a half mile, I might as well walk a mile and a half. Sure. Yeah. You know, and and it became my ritual way of sort of waking up, you know, I had my travel, you know, travel cup of coffee and and um, you know, I took summer classes one year and I had actually gotten to know where all the mulberry trees were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for literally like 3 weeks out of the summer, I'm picking mulberries at like six different trees along the way. You know, it was kind of like I, I had this system where I'd kind of like graze as I walked under it. Maybe I'd do a lap around the bottom of the tree and I'd fill up my ball cap. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, I'd munch on them. And I, by the time I got to class, I'd have like a full ball cap. And mulberries are pretty damn good, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, but everybody, I you know, is one of the only times I had like classes with non-outdoor rec majors. So like that would have been total normal behavior. <laughs> In my outdoor rec classes, but showing up with a like purple mouth and, and purple fingers and like, <laughs> you know, it looks like you like had like you did the dirty with a Smurf, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> People looked at me a little funny, but it was a really great way to just clear the mind or at least process, think, whatever, you know. Sure. Um, you know, I was thinking about from something you said earlier, talking about the rhyming or not rhyming. Mm-hmm. There's there, there was a poem I'm not. I'm not able to find it here. Uh, you might be able to help me. It was sort of, there was a poem within the poem where you kind of rhymed for, you know, mm-hmm. a couple stanzas, shall we say. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's in that book? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what it's about? <sighs> it wasn't the one about fathers, was it? But you, you, you addressed the concept of rhyming, you know, and you closed out with, oh, man. Because I do almost think that would be the kind of one that I'd like to you you know like you to read mm-hmm. shit poetry maybe it wouldn't no it wasn't shit poetry I liked that one though <laughs> uh, shit you know there was the one you were talking about uh, what it means to be a father yeah and I liked that one because um, you talked about how like the ultimate sort of the thing you could hope for most as a father is that your your kids come back to you by mm-hmm. their own accord, not by obligation mm-hmm. or anything, you know, resembling like coercion, coercion, guess, yeah. right? Guilt tripping. You know, it's funny because I think you might have even seen it. Um, but today I posted something where I said, you know, pop quiz, what ruins relation or what destroys relationships? Uh, you know, A, expectations, B, uh, obligations, C, um, ultimatums, or D, all of the above. And I had a few people actually respond to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one said D, one said A, another said A and C. I thought the interesting answer to that was A and C, even though I kind of disagree. Basically, they were excluding obligations. Mm-hmm. Implying that obligations are a part of relationships. And I almost just am curious to get what you might think on that. That word obligation to me is a tricky one. Mm -hmm. Because so often, if something is obligatory, it basically is something you have no ability to say no to. But I think the word obligation at times is used to imply what you might call a responsibility. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how you use it. Like, mm-hmm. And, I mean, for example, the the type of relationship. Like, think, you know, say parents uh, who are aging and their children, you know, the, the concept of filial piety. You know, are you going to help your parents as they age? Like, they mm-hmm. help their, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, um, and, uh, or, you know, the obligation to, say, be honest and genuine with your partner. I mean, so I guess it, you would kind of have, I mean, well, not you, but if the focus was narrowed to like a particular definition of obligation, then it would be 
maybe uh, there'd be a little bit more utility, at least for for saying, is it a negative concept or is it a positive? And I think it, it kind of depends on the definition. You know, I mean, I think there's definitely plenty of responsibility to someone you've committed to. Mm -hmm. You can say, well, that's obligation in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, if, if you make it like, say, more of a trapping, then that in and of itself could, you know, make a person want to distance themselves. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I bring this up because we're verging on getting a little personal, but this is, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to do that for the sake of um, being honest and being real and like discussing what I think matters to a lot of people right now. And I think there's a lot of families having serious division when you boil it down over this vaccine shit. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I, I can say that that is a, a fact for my family currently. Mm -hmm. And uh, without giving away details, it's like I, I will say that I am the only one that is unvaccinated. And in a nutshell, that's become a problem for one person mm -hmm. more than anybody else in the family. And it's really causing issues, especially leading up to the holidays. And, and I am basically telling you this because this concept of obligation and um, sort of duty to family is something I've been thinking about long and hard mm -hmm. as a result because they're all pleading with me. Even the ones that respect my stance are mm -hmm. pleading with me just to, just to do it, you yeah. know? And, but this, you know, besides the point, this is not meant to be about the vaccine per se. It's just about the fact that we are at this point in many relationships. That's why I posted this little pop quiz where a sense of obligation is, I think, the root of many troubles in our relationships. The, the obvious answers to that question, what destroys relationships, right? Expectation, not a lot of people um, recognize how dangerous like expectations can be, but they are. Mm -hmm. I think that's a more obvious answer. Again, um, what was the other one? Ultimatums. You know, Many of us from a gut level resent have having somebody give us an ultimatum but that third option of obligation i think all a lot of us sort of resign ourselves to the idea that we have these obligations when oftentimes we're doing ourselves a disservice by feeling that obligatory sort of urge mm -hmm. um i don't know if you're you're getting what i'm getting at here but it's kind of like it gets really tricky when, given the state of our situation culturally, where a medical decision, which I still to this day hold that should be you know, basically private and nobody's fucking business mm -hmm. and do what you think is best for you. and But it's gotten to the point where it's so in the open and everybody knows everybody's business about it. And it's ruining things. It's ruining things. Um, but it sounds like... I, I just respect the fact, you know, I am blessed to have, you know, a good close connection with my father. Mm -hmm. um, and I do go to him, uh, not out of obligation, but out of desire to be with him and talk to him and ask him for advice. And, um, and I think that's so, you know, it's like, I think the father figure is, it's so important, but like this whole fuck the patriarchy thing is kind of like in many ways, um, I think 
men have been emasculated. And I don't know. I'm kind of covering a lot of territory here. But I think, uh, I mean, on any of these kind of, say, singular topics, um, obviously there are practical, like, manifestations of any of these. But uh, in my life, um, which, you know, is only, say, middle-ish age at this point in my 40s, um, I've had a few different in kind of inceptions of my own ideological beliefs, say spiritually, just for example, um, over the course of, you know, from when I was like cognizant enough to really care about such things, which I, it was on the younger side of things for me, but cause I've always been a weirdo as far as deep thinking goes, but, <laughs> um, well, and for anyone who hasn't heard the last episode, you were at one point a preacher, not mm. to derail you just like, clearly you are a thinker. Yeah. yeah. Striving yeah. for understanding, yeah. right? And not for a short period of time, from when I was like 18 to 34. So, um, is I, I, I jokingly sometimes say that I've forgotten more Bible than most people ever learn, but that actually is true because most people don't know very much Bible, mm-hmm. even people that go to church. But um, So, having experienced several times in my life where I was on... Uh, one, just for the sake of an easy figure, ideological island. And then I changed my mind, not flippantly at all, but after a long amount of examination and all kinds of stuff, sometimes heartache, changed my mind. And then finding myself on a different ideological island, as it were. I think that having seen... And we talked about friends and buddies last time and kind of ethics Mm -hmm. on that, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, having seen people who I thought valued me because of who I was. And then when my ideology, not on everything, but just on a topic that they cared about shifted and then they didn't think as much of me anymore. I realized that their main esteem for me came from me echoing their ideology and when I didn't anymore, then they esteemed me lower. Hmm. But I didn't esteem them lower. And that was that years ago when I left uh, ministry and church without jumping to that whole thing. So that would be its own podcast, <laughs> several podcasts. Um, that was a lot of heartache because damn near all of my best friends, all of, I mean, a massive amount of my friend base was. Uh, you know, folks from that circle. Um, and then uh, I've, I've just seen many times people on any side of any ideological divide, political divide, whatever it may be, treat people shitty because they change their mind. It's not really a right thing. It's not a left thing. It's not a centrist thing. It's a human being thing. It's this desire to feel personal validation because you're you are... Uh, bolstered by functionally an uh, an ad populum argument. The more people think like you, the more you think that what you think is right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels good. You know, well, definitely coming out of that shift in my early to mid thirties and examining the situation, I very much um, 
started to value the idea of, which this is a, a concept, but I'm talking about real things. If you love people more than you love ideology, you will not have a problem often in life finding people to love mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and being able to find good people. Because sometimes um, life will just bring people in, you know, in your path, right? And you may be a Christian. You may be a Southern Baptist. And this place where you go all the time, you know, and, and you, you rub shoulders with this other person, <clears throat> they may be Islamic. Mm-hmm. And then if you, if abstract ideology or words on paper are more important to you than flesh and blood breathing human beings, you will have trouble reconciling that. You'll value the concept above that actual human being and you'll probably push them away or at least not them let not let them get as close to you as you otherwise would, even though they may be one of the best people you ever met. Um, and I very much purposed in myself that as best as I could for the rest of my life, unless a person has an outright inherently toxic belief system or ideology that is just damaging to people, period. Um, I'm not going to, uh, and of course this would be a case by case thing, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could think you could play like logic games with this. Well, what if, what if this, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the most part to try and take, you know, each person that comes into my life as they are based on their personality, how I see them treat people, how they treat me. Are they honest? Are they not honest? Are they genuine? Blah, blah, blah. Do they, and this is a big thing. Do they put time in? Are they willing to put time in? You know, if, if you run into a person time and time again and they're like, hey, we should grab coffee. And then 10 times in a row over a year, you're like, hey, let's grab coffee. Ah, ah, ah. They always have some, well, you're not, you're just not that valuable to them. They're teaching you that you aren't that valuable to them. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. They may have other shit going on in life, but at least you know where you stand. And then that kind of teaches you where, where they stand, you know. Um, but... For example, you and I, if we were to write all of our things down that we think or believe or whatever, there's going to be a lot of overlap and there's going to be some divergence. Um, As long as the divergence is not on either side a toxic, harmful thing, Mm -hmm. or one of us makes that thing... Uh, a no-go, then we can be fantastic friends. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll actually change each other's minds or let's say it's just like you already have, say you have a pocket knife and I have a pocket knife and they're both relatively sharp. Well, maybe we can help hone each other's ideological conceptions as it were sharper maybe they already are sharp but maybe mm-hmm. they can become sharper mm-hmm. you know just like a, a sharp pocket knife but maybe it doesn't shave you you know mm-hmm. um and then you hone it you strop it and now it's razor sharp and it's better than it ever was you know but uh but as as i was talking with my buddy my old buddy tom who i referenced earlier we were very much talking about the same issue and i think this is a question that is missed 
as it pertains to, and as you've mentioned, I've seen some very close people to me, relationships nearly and potentially still come to an end, coming to an end yeah. over this issue. This one. This one issue. issue. Okay. Rewind humanity. Two years. Okay. Two years. How many things already existed in humanity as a reason for people to fucking hate one another? To call each other pieces of shit. Mm. To say, you are... Fuck you. You know, blah, blah, blah. You are not where I am on the political scale. You are blah, blah, blah. You think this. You think that. I mean... Obviously, you could write down hundreds, if not thousands, of dividing lines that already exist in, say, just American culture. Now this, now this too? You know what I mean? Like, how much did we beat each other up before? How much did the, did the news media use to divide people before? Yeah. There was already tons of shit. That people would not like each other, you know, treat each other poorly over. As far as politics, ideology, blah, 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 medical issues, all these types of things. All of those still exist, plus this one more. This you know? was like the last straw for a lot mm -hmm. of relationships. Yeah. I, I, I can see it. I can sense it. You know, it's, it's like um, what we talked about on the last or on the first episode you know, about the overlapping, like, Venn diagram of, like, personality and how, yeah, there's always going to be stuff you have different, but there's also always going to be something that overlaps, yeah. no matter who you're talking to. <clears throat> sure. Um, and it's just been a bit shocking to me <sighs> because I, I, I am on the verge of losing a couple of relationships over this issue myself. Mm -hmm. Partially because I have not gone with the crowd and partially because I've been vocal about not going with the crowd. But my whole stance has always been do what you think is best for you. It's nobody's business. The idea of passports to me is you know, reprehensible. Like mm -hmm. My stance has been pretty consistent in that way. <clears throat> but it was shocking because I had, again, without getting too specific, I had a friend on the show not that long ago. Mm -hmm. And found out shortly thereafter that another friend had basically, well, you know, I, I say friend, it's hard to say if they're still a friend sure. because this, this other person who I, who I knew accosted the person that came on my show saying, you realize he's nothing but an anti-science, anti-vax, anti-mask, like conspiracy nut. Mm -hmm. And this is somebody that, we have so many overlapping interests and, and values. Yeah, he's into permaculture, mm -hmm. right? But he's on the other side of this one thing. And it's basically, I was just, I was so shocked because I knew we had differences, but I, I never thought he would, you know, talk about me behind my back like mm -hmm. that or accost another friend for simply participating in this thing I'm trying to do because he's labeled it as such. And I think it's a similar issue just, again, with the family at this moment. The one person that's really upset with me is probably upset more because I'm being vocal than because I'm getting the shot mm -hmm. or not getting the shot right. <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's shocking to me because it is like, why is this thing, 
why are we letting it be that thing that that drives the final wedge? And maybe it's because it's been built up and built up and built up. But it's it's funny because in some ways I've it's like some relationships are stronger than ever mm-hmm. when there were great divides before. And it's all it's just um, this idea to me. It's 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 sort of this idea of obligation of like. I think it's a toxic idea in many ways because so many people just have it hardwired in their brain that you have this certain amount of obligation to to do what's best according to the the mass you know idea mm-hmm. the the group the group idea and that there's like no wiggle room for for not feeling obliged yeah and yeah go ahead. Well, so I'll do kind of a, maybe like, this is just popping in my head, but somewhat of a thought experiment as it were. So I'm not going to say what my sensibilities are on the vaccine or anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I, you know, I hope it's clear we're not even necessarily talking about that. We're talking about yeah. what divides people. Yeah. So I think two, and this is these aren't things that I've really written on much, although I've talked to people a lot about it over the years and maybe I'll write more about it someday. Um, because my experience with traditional, uh, Christianity and, you know, religion and communities and so forth in America, um, which I think there's a, uh, a poem in there called American poetry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of relates. I mean, I, I write, from the position that I live in and I, I want to write where I am. I want to write when I am, uh, in the big and the small, you know? So I try to learn from things globally, whatever, but from my own vantage point, I'm trying to learn, you know, kind of where and when I am. Uh, and some things that are very uncanny that I, I do think directly relate to the situation at hand as it pertains to the pandemic and the vax and, and the vaccine, the multiplicity of the vaccines and the government and authoritarianism and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's been an interesting shift to see American culture from the time I was, say Midwestern American culture. You know, uh, it used to be more of a subset than it is, I think now. Um, but when I was very young, you know, it was it was much more, generally speaking, like traditionally Christian in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're kind of at the top of the buckle of the Bible Belt, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, here in Indiana. And <laughs> I like that, the buckle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, as more, and so I'm not going to jump into goods or bads or anything like that, but I'm going to talk about a concept. A con- a reality that is a concept. So two things that are very much satisfied by traditional Western Christian religion that are impulses in human beings. Uh, one is the need for an, for quote, the eternal parent. Uh, when we are children, like, for example, let's say a, a child is born to um, two people who are raging alcoholics, mm-hmm. uh, toxic 
and have all kinds of problems. Nonetheless, until the child reaches a certain level of awareness, that child will still look at these people like they have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like they know what's up, like they know what's going on. If they have a, if they have needs, questions, whatever, it's going to go to these people, even though these are not well-equipped people to be parents, at least comprehensively, mm-hmm. you know, and I say that as a parent, uh, whose youngest is now an adult. Um, but, um, as we get older, if we don't understand that, uh, because one of the most tragic things can be when a parent dies and it's not just the relationship it's not just the being able to give a hug, and I've lost my father to, uh, in 2009. Um, and thankfully my mother's still alive and Ooh, doing shit. relatively well. Uh, but you lose someone who you think has it more figured out than you. you know. Um, and there's an impulse in us that if we don't suss out and understand the craving for the the eternal parent uh, that somebody, it's not us, it's all fucked up for us, but there's somebody, there's something that does have it all figured out. There's somebody, there's something, there's an entity, there's something, fill in the blank, mm-hmm. whatever it is, uh, who does have all the answers. Even if we don't have the, they have the answers. If we don't understand why this happened, they at least understand why it happened. Okay. Um, secondarily, we want to know, and I think this, this is not a, this is not a bad thing because I think a community is society, whatever it may be, a relationship, if it's just two people, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, a family unit, a friend unit, all of these do better when people treat each other well. Mm -hmm. We are community based creatures as it were, Mm -hmm. we're inter interactive, you know, um, but nonetheless, we do tend to be somewhat hierarchical and in a moral sense, you know, so we want to know that we are good. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to convince ourselves we are at least better than we're worse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so classic, good. we're good enough. We're good right? enough. Yeah. We're, or we're at least better than that motherfucker. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. That's sort of a bitch over there. Yeah. But, uh. Um, you know, if he's getting into heaven, you know, I'm getting into heaven, you know, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm kind of tongue in cheek on that, but, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so traditional, uh, religion provides both of those needs. You have the eternal parent mm-hmm. literally in the figure of, of a deity. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you have a system of moral theology although people have argued and burned each other at the stake over very small details on this, mm-hmm. uh, who would have otherwise called each other brethren uh, in, in history. Um, nonetheless, you have some kind, whether it's the Ten Commandments, whether it's Sermon on the Mount, whether it's the Epistles of Paul, whatever it is, right? Um, that you say, okay, these are the things that are good, do them. These are the things that are bad, don't do them. Okay, and if my tally, now I'm, Okay, if I understand if there's a biblical faith-based Christian right now, you're saying, well, that's not what gets you into heaven. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> okay, go with me on this. Um, uh, so, it's a way to know that you're good, you're righteous, 
whatever the situation is. Now, as society as a whole has become increasingly less and less and less faith-based, um, traditionally faith-based, not like the person's I'm spiritual or whatever, that's fine too. But a person who would carry a, a Quran, a Book of Mormon, uh, Bhagavad Gita, the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, the Pearl of Great Prize, whatever it is, you know, something, and it's like, this is my standard. As people have walked away from that, this is what the preacher said, this is what the Pope says, whatever. Um, there's kind of been an exodus away from that. Now, uh, I think that, in a, in a way, is positive. The problem is, that, that type of thing, it is, if not anything else, a ballast that balances uh, a community a nation, whatever it is. I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying it's bad. But what I'm saying is it is a stabilizing force. Right. Now, when you leave that and you no longer say have Preacher George to tell you what's right and wrong mm-hmm. um, in a definitive way, the Pope or a priest or insert whatever the uh, fountain of moral right and wrong is or the person saying this is the means of salvation or whatever um you have to do a lot of fucking thinking on your own man mm-hmm. and a lot of people aren't willing to do that now what has this situation given us that very much appeals to an uh, a populace that is becoming ever more secular or at least not traditionally religious it offers us an eternal parent in the form of government, mm-hmm. scientists, right or wrong. The medical establishment. The medical industrial complex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, th- these are the people. Mm-hmm. So we feel out of control. These are the people who will tell us what's right, what's wrong, what is good, how you. How, this is how you can survive. There's a reason a lot of people call it big daddy government. Sure. You know, it's not big mama government because, I mean, it's... Don't mean to cut you off. It's just... Um, I find that it, I, I hadn't given that a lot of thought, but like at least the people I, I listen to, the people in the liberty movement, so to speak, um, it's always big daddy government because it's an authoritarian mm-hmm. model. Yeah. So it does, it, I mean, it does fill the role of God is what you're saying. The government is stepping in to the secular mind as their, as their God on high. It, and it's frightening to me, um, you know, I was just thinking about is like, I love Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you've listened to or read. I'm relatively uh, familiar. Uh, you know, and while basically he, he talks a lot about sort of the role of the father figure. He talks about sort of masculinity and these and this and that. And while we're on the topic, I want to like address Brittany in the room because like, you know, there's maybe people out there that are thinking, you know, they introduced Brittany and like, she hasn't said a word. I hope you don't feel like we're talking over you. I, no, you know, I'm I, just shy. I, yeah. I was going to say, I don't want to speak for you, but I know you're just shy and like, you're always welcome to speak or if you have anything to say, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just addressing that. Yes, there's a third person in this room. Um, and we're not trying to be domineering, but this is the issue sort of, of, at what point is, I guess, 
authoritarianism gone too far. Sure. The father has to be a bit of an authoritarian at times, I believe. And that's how like the religious texts laid it out. And you're talking about sort of the, the rules of our, of our society. When you talk about like sort of, that's what religion was meant to serve as was a template for existence, mm-hmm. um, for understanding and for relating to each other without undue harm. And it makes me think like, so, okay. Jordan Peterson talks about like, <clears throat> First and foremost, if if there's a problem in your life, you need to look inward as to like what you might have done or been doing to cause it. Mm-hmm. Like he, he always says, like clean your room before you, you know, tell anybody else what to do. And um, let's see if I can connect this. Um, it's like this 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 idea of. The eternal father is an interesting one because we do as people sort of need a structure of sorts. So that's why a lot of people maybe get upset with me for my anarchistic, outspoken anarchism, right? They don't like that word, um, but it's it's not an abandonment of rules. It's an abandonment of rulers recognizing that basically the rules have been written that we require. Mm-hmm. They've been written in a hundred and... 35 different ways at least right you know it's like every religious structure has at its core sort of these rules for life and you can't just rewrite the rules that's what upsets me about what's going on right now is basically the demonization of people the um the idea that by you know it's like the um the classic thing about the leper Right, it's like they're turning the unvaccinated into the leper, the the ostracized member of society. That's what it seems to be. the The intent of what's all the messaging is to um, to demonize anybody that doesn't think that you know that, that doesn't go along. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's it's clearly like a demonization, and it's fucking wrong to rewrite the rules all of a sudden. You know? Well, so the situation as, and I think this is a question, so related to what you're saying, reference to Jordan Peterson about, you know, looking inward to see is there any shit you can basically fix in yourself before you worry about anything else. All right. Mm -hmm. So uh, as it applies to these very big umbrella two things, one, seeking the eternal parent, and then secondarily, which I didn't mention as much or as thoroughly, all right, so we're back. We just had catastrophic failure. Uh, probably <laughs> lost like 20 minutes of good conversation at least. So that's a bit of a bummer. Um, but, you know, we were talking about the eternal father, right? And how people seem to replace God with government these days. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where it cut out. And, you know, I think... <sighs> Like I was saying, <laughs> I want everybody to watch this movie V for Vendetta. I'm going to read this quote again because that was the gist of what I was getting at. Um, but in essence, like the power of words, the power of people speaking truth to power um, is kind of what that movie is supposed to be all about. And, you know, this quote 
I just think it resonates with the conversation at large, you know. So here, I'll just read it. I hate I hate repeating myself, but we're just going to make the best of a crummy situation, you know. Anyways, words offer the means to meaning, and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. And the truth is there is something terribly wrong with this country, isn't there? Cruelty and injustice, intolerance and oppression. And where once you had the freedom to object, to think, to speak as you saw fit, now you have censors and systems of surveillance, coercing your conformity and soliciting your submission. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those more responsible than others and will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look in the mirror. I know what you or I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. There were there were a myriad of problems which conspired to corrupt your reason and rob your common sense. Now that that quote to me is like we're on this we're on this teetering point. We were talking about just the things that divide us and we're at this point in the country clearly. Yeah, we went into a lot of depth at this already, and we're not going to get what we lost out of the conversation. But I think the the central theme of, you know, what tears us apart, what pits brother against brother, um, and you know, like how did we get here? Like we're all essentially in some ways responsible. We're a little bit guilty, you know, uh, for letting things dissolve the way they have. You know, right before the recording cut out, we were talking about how you just can't rewrite the rules out of nowhere and expect it to go smoothly. And, um, you know, I don't want this show or this conversation to be anything remotely resembling fear porn. So I always want to remain, like, solution-focused. And it's why I loved that, that poem, I think I will ask you to read it again, uh, if you don't mind. The uh, the low shelf angels. It's it's a long one, so you'll have to just like. I think I think we'll wrap up with that because it's where the conversation started. I think it's where it should end. The idea that it doesn't matter who it is. It could be a a drunk stranger on the street. Like what really matters is how we treat each other, um, and if we want to prevent things getting worse, like. We really need to focus on that and that maybe alone, like the idea of being kind. So if you don't mind, we'll, uh, we'll have you read, read a little bit of your own work and we'll, uh, we'll let you all get out of here. Sounds good. Do you mind throwing your uh, flashlight on? Since it's a little dim over here, I like my wits. This will be an interesting assignment. I read this poem in yours at this point. <clears throat> Low Shelf Angels. I like walking down to the Oasis coffee shop to sip hot Joe and bullshit with my kids like Dad and I used to do. The 50s looking diner is about a mile away from the place where we rent. They still play songs like Stagger Lee and Maybelline there. Last night, Saturday night that is, I got a craving for coffee, pie a la mode, and good conversation. So I hollered at the twins to see who felt like a jaunt with me. Caleb was loose, so we headed out the door, on purpose and with purpose, for a short walk down the long national highway. 
as we went, we bullshitted and bullshat about this and that. Just regular father and son time. Nothing special when it is, but a cherished treasure when it isn't. About halfway to the joint, I peered through the dimly lit night across the four asphalt lanes in downtown Plainfield, barely seeing a guy who was staggering his way down the sidewalk, ready to go ass over tea kettle at any moment. I stopped walking and told Caleb, look over at that dude, he's lit up. Caleb looked and chuckled. I figured the guy was headed home from one of the grimy old bars nearby, overserved and by his lonesome. He stumbled and shuffled so badly that I started to get concerned for the stranger. Not ten seconds later, he flopped right backward on a patch of grass, luckily not forward, introducing his forehead to an iron drainage gate. Great. So I said, hey Caleb, let's run over there and help this old SOB out. Then we ran over to his side of the street. I walked up at his dirty boots and told the stranger, looks like you could use some help, and reached down my hand to grab his. Oh man, he replied. I think I'll be okay if you can just help me up. All right then, I said, and pulled him onto his feet. He was a tall, lanky fellow, closer to 6'6 than 6 feet for damn sure. A hell of a lot taller than my 5 foot 9 inch frame. Scruffy face, dirty sweatshirt, faded jeans, and an ancient ball cap with a warped up bill. He was maybe 55, or perhaps a bit younger, but appeared more seasoned due to the wear and tear of life. After we got him back on his feet, I asked him, You need a hand getting home, man? All drunky-eyed, he said, Thanks, I'll be alright. I just lived over there a ways, pointing off in the distance toward the southeast. I said, Well, okay, be careful as you go, and he started back on his way east. As he stumbled away from us, I told Caleb, Let's just wait here for a minute or so and see that he's getting along. The stranger made it about a block down the sidewalk, tripped over a concrete berm, fell over sideways into a parking lot, and ended up with his body wedged up against a car tire, half under the car's rear end. I whispered shit, then whacked Caleb on his shoulder, motioning with my head toward the drunk stranger. We walked quickly to him. He wasn't hurt, it didn't look like. If he was, he wasn't feeling it. Looked like he had a case of the spins. He had to hug the car's tire just to keep the world from throwing him off. I squatted down next to him and told him, Man, you're having a bad one. Let's get you back up. Caleb grabbed one hand and I grabbed the other. We damn near had to pick him up. Back down on his ass he went. We picked him back up. He started to cry like drunks do. Man, thanks you guys. I don't know what I'm going to do. He mumbled some more that I couldn't make out and then he cried softly to himself. I told the stranger, listen, we can't let you fall down in the street and get killed. It's busy and dark out here. If you try to get across the road, someone's going to run you over. Then I asked him, where exactly do you live over that way? He pointed to the southeast again. What street or address, I asked, an apartment or a house? He thought to himself like he was working on the meaning of life, but he couldn't remember where he lived to save his life. Just too damn shit-faced to recollect it. So I said, all right, man, we'll get you over to a place where you can at least sit down until you get your bearings. Maybe sleep it off for a bit. You guys, you guys are helping me out, he cried with his head down. I said, hey, man, don't worry about it. We all have a rough night from time to time. It's no trouble. 
will at least help you over to somewhere where you can get straightened up. We got him all the way to his feet again, but he was still bent over and too wobbly to walk on his own. I put my right side up against his left, stood with my neck under his armpit, then pulled his long arm around my shoulders, tightly holding his wrist. After we got ourselves squared away, I said, all right, we're about to walk to the other side of the street as soon as the light changes. You just lean over against me and you'll be okay. When the stoplight went red, I told him that it was time to move, <clears throat> since his eyes were closed. A few cars pulled up to the white line waiting as we three walked in front of them. The drivers looked at us like we were a curious band of miscreants, but no matter to me. Caleb stayed close on the guy's other side in case he went down and I couldn't keep him up. We made it over as smooth as we could and I said for him to watch out for the step up. As we got into the huge grassy lot in front of the old Quaker church, he started talking and crying again. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, he blubbered out. Oh, thank you, thank you. I can't believe you guys are helping me. You guys are angels, he yelled, still half crying. Move more than I wanted to let on, I joked with him. Well, if we are, we're low shelf angels. My name's Luke, I'm just the muscle in this deal. Caleb over there, he's the brains of the outfit. I asked the tall stranger his name and he told us his first and last. I won't say his name here. Some local townie who knows him may read this poem someday. I don't want the stranger turned temporary friend to have anyone in his business or be embarrassed by his formerly compromised state. We walked the rest of the hundred or so yards up to the side of the old block church. I sat him down and partial reposed on a wide set of concrete steps. He let out a big breath and carried on with some more, mumbling or mumbled thank yous. I looked him over and made sure he had his sweatshirt zipped up. The chilly weather would help him sober a bit, but I didn't want him getting too cold. As he kicked one foot out in front of him, I saw his laces were untied. I said, here, I'm going to grab your foot up. Don't think I'm being weird. Your boot is untied and I don't want you to trip after you get back up later. So I held his big work boot pinched between my knees like I used to with my kids when they were little and tied his laces for him. I patted his shoulder and told him, listen, we have to be on our way now, but you'll be okay to rest here until you're steady enough to walk. Don't be in a hurry. Wait until you feel right again before you leave out for home. Then we shook hands and parted ways. I didn't talk much during the other half of our walk. I just thought about things and I was thankful that we got to help somebody in the way that we could with the right actions and the right words at the right time. Thankful that Caleb was with me, that I got to be an example to him of how you can help your fellow man when it matters, when they need your help, no matter if they be a pauper or a prince, no matter if they be a friend or a stranger because it's the right thing to do. We got to Oasis, sat in front, or sat in our favorite front corner booth there, ordered two coffees and a slice of blueberry pie a la mode to share. After a few more minutes thinking and sitting quietly together, Caleb knows me well and understands when I have things on my mind, I said, yeah, son, the world needs more people playing the role of the good guy because all the spots for the assholes are already taken. And there's a line stretched around the building with people who are still hoping to get hired for the part. We sipped our coffee cups empty, and the waitress came back to give us each a refill. She poured the cups full to the rim. So we sipped the coffee black until we had space for cream and sugar. 
not talking much, just thinking, while we stared out the window into the night that was glowing with light from the diner's neon signs. Sometimes in this life, it's hard to tell who the devils are and who the angels are. As for us, we'll be here on the low shelf, dirty wings and broken, but still trying to fly, watching over our brethren. Well, <clears throat> I turned myself down there. Well, thank you for reading that. I know it was a long one. That's, you know. You're welcome. Yeah, but um, I think it does, it illustrates. It's a good story. Like you said, sometimes people need a little bit of kindness, a little bit of help. You know, if we're going to, like, come out of this sticky situation we're in, I think we're going to need a lot more of that kind of attitude. Um, I guess I'll leave leave the floor open if you all have any final thoughts. No. I just appreciate I mean, I think you're doing a good thing, you know, with the podcast, and, and you're doing what you can do to try to facilitate conversation between people, get people thinking. You have people on that have different opinions on different things, expertise, and different things, you know. Um, so I think that's a good example, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, just... Uh, I think that, you know, if folks can try to be as kind to one another as they possibly can and, you know, start with yourself first, look in the mirror, what can I do better? How can I be kinder to people? How can I be a little bit, you know, wiser than I was a week ago? You know, then that's a good place to start. Enjoy your life. Drink a little coffee. You know, have a little fun. Whatever. Blow off a little steam. Shoot the shit. Shoot the shit, yeah. Yeah. How'd you say it um, about shoot the shit in the chat and this oh, yeah. and that? <laughs> yeah, bullshitting and yeah, bullshit. Yeah, bullshit and bullshit. Yeah. I, do you, can what's the whole line? I think it's uh, so. I think it's. I, th I think. I'd have to look back. Let me see. It. Yeah, it's it's a fun one. It's a fun one. You know, it's a little. That one. Um, where is it? Oh yeah. As we went, we bullshitted and bullshat about this and that. Just regular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that kind of thing. <laughs> well, I've really been enjoying the poetry. Glad to know there's more out there. Once I finish this book, I'll have to, I'll have to order another. You know, and I hope that some of the listeners now out there will support your work and order a book on Amazon. That yeah. that's uh, Luke Austin Doherty. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And there's a few. I mean, so. There are a few old out-of-print books that I need to get updated and on Amazon mm -hmm. um, that, you know, uh, just aren't accessible right now. But I think Low Shelf Angels is maybe my seventh book, uh, I think. And then I have about seven albums. Maybe three or four of those are available online, the mm -hmm. most recent ones, because um, I'm a singer-songwriter too. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Mixed Fruit Jelly... And razor blades will be out sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> no promises on a specific yeah, time. No promises on the specifics. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then scribblings from the now and here, and then the Zen of chopped onions will be after that. And I'm not 100 percent sure on the title for the next, their fourth one out. But mm -hmm. but uh, and there's a I mean there's a shitload of stuff on my blog if you just Google my name. You know there's a lot of there's a ton of poetry just on my blog and Instagram and whatever. You know. Yeah. And. Uh, and pictures of food. Yeah, yeah, right on. Yeah. Well, uh, Brittany, always a pleasure, you yes. know. 
it's always fun to hang out with you guys. You're you're a cool couple, you know. We'll definitely do more of this. Thank you. And Thank you, you need to come over to eat sometime. Yeah, I second that. Right on, right on, y'all. Well, uh, travel safe getting out of here. I was. Thank you. I was not surprised to see you chose to take the car instead of the bike. Uh, a little bit brisk out there to be on the motorcycle. So. Oh, he'll still be on this motorcycle. We yeah. just took it because we had to put a bunch. Of stuff I was there. gonna say, well, you know, I, I half expected you on the bike because I thought that was your only mode of yeah. transport. But I guess Brittany's got the car. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. own a car, just bicycles and motorcycles. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you know, it's a little bit of. Yeah, little country, little rock and roll. There you go. You know, uh, one. I like to say one plus one equals three. You know, Mm -hmm. two people uh, helping each other out can do a whole lot more than either separate. Very true. Yeah, synergy. Synergy. That's right. All right, y'all. Well, uh, thanks again. We'll talk soon. Yep. Later. Peace. Well, I hope that worked. I hope it wasn't too disjointed there with the uh, break and the in the conversation, you know, I'll be honest, we did kind of lose momentum with that. We had, we had really been on a roll too. It's so disappointing to, to lose good content, but so be it. But, you know, as I promised early, earlier in the episode, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and read you just one more poem from Luke's book. And this one is called on being a father. And I figured it'd be a good way to close out because I think it, it demonstrates well sort of what we're trying to get at here about how to treat your fellow man. So here you go. Let's get the bad news out of the way first. It's going to be hard, probably harder than anything you've ever done. And no matter how hard you try to do it all right, from time to time, you're going to fuck up. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's okay. I remember the first piece of advice I was given. My first day on the job, doing building trades when I was 16. The stoned and ponytailed boss looked at me and said, Listen to me, dude. There ain't no such thing as perfect, I'm sorry, as a perfect carpenter, painter, or drywall man. You learn all you can, and you do your best, but you're going to fuck up. So you better learn to fix your fuck-ups. That said, here's my first piece of advice from my fellow fathers. There ain't no such thing as a perfect father. There ain't no world's greatest dad, no matter what the coffee coffee cup your kids gave you on Father's Day says. So learn all you can and do your best, but you're going to fuck up. So you better learn to fix your fuck-ups. You start by admitting to your mistakes and saying you're sorry. World's greatest dad dads might be as common as their coffee cups, but fathers who admit their mistakes and fix them are a bit harder to find. Here's the rest of it. Give it all you've got, all of it. Leave it all on the table because sooner or later you're leaving and your kids will live on with your legacy for better or for worse. Whether there is a God who's going to reward or punish you for what kind of father you were, I don't know. So father, 
for your kids and not for the gods. And damn you if you ever leave your kids or forsake them. You love them like you don't have anything better to do. Let the let them wring the love out of you like you're an old washcloth. Because sometimes they'll take more love than you think you have to give. And damn you if you don't love them. Enjoy it all. Savor every damn moment. Take care of yourself too. There's no reason to check out early. Because you only got one turn on this ride. Always be a teacher. Always be a student. Every single one of us starts at zero. So don't forget to pass what you've learned on to the next generation. They're going to need it. I'm not an old man, not even close, but I have been a father for nearly half my, half my life, and my own father died six years ago. In all that, I've learned that the last bit is the best I've got for you. For what it's worth, Thomas Wolfe once wrote, which of us has looked into his father's heart? Which of us has not remained forever prison bent? Pent, I'm sorry. Which of us has not forever, is not forever a stranger and alone? If you can be the kind of father who has a gravity for his children, who draws them to you, not by force, but who inspires them to search you out of their own accord and to look into your heart, then my friend, you'll have done a hell of a job, one that you can live on and one that you can die on. You know, I think the, the most important four words in this whole poem, possibly in this whole podcast, of their own accord. You know, we have to, we have to treat people with enough sort of respect and dignity to to let them live of their own accord and to be a good parent means that you you do a good enough job that that they come back unsolicited uncoerced and I find the imagery of letting them wring the love out of you like an old washcloth you know, it's not exactly flattering, but I think it's, that's the point, is right? And I just, I just think we really need, as a, as a culture and as a country, we need to repair the family. It sounds so cliche, you know, but there is, there is trouble on the home front. People are trying to pit brother against brother, father against son. And I just don't, I just don't know how to fix it. But I can see that it's happening and I hope that we can do something about it. Let's, let's bridge the divide. And with that, 
This has been episode 43. This has been Mike the Polymath with the Easy Peasy Podcast. Come back again. Bye.